0: One day I'm I'm going to figure out a good way to open these things but until then we'll just be a little bit awkward and say this is episode 3 of rolling with the punches. Um episode episode 3 but probably episode 2 of of kind of having it having it c- sort of figured out I would say. We're getting there. We're getting there. Slowly but surely. Well, Dad, as always, let's uh, start off with some some NASCAR news. Some NASCAR news. The only important NASCAR news right now, let's be real, we're going back racing. And very yep. soon, very soon, actually, May 17th at Darlington, we will, re- we will see a return to the racetrack. No fans, that is. Um, but what I think is more wild than the fact that we are about to get back to racing in just a few weeks is the fact that we're going to see Seven races in 11 days. I am so excited.
1: <laughs> I am too. I am, I am stoked. And, uh, and kudos to NASCAR and to the teams and to the tracks and to the governors and everybody, the first responders who are working so hard so we can do that.
0: That's right. And And... Really, we said it in our last episode, we gave all of our opinions on why we feel like NASCAR is, is equipped as a sport to be able to come back and continue to keep uh, the safety of the teams and athletes at the forefront while still, you know, getting back to competition and providing some things, some entertainment um, on the racetrack for, for the fans. So I do, I do want to pick your brain, though, because the format, like we might have uh, guessed, is a little different. We aren't going to see um, the same long weekends. They're really just going to show up and race. Um, it, it used to be like that a long yeah. time ago. It
1: was. It, it's sort of leaning things down. Back in the old days, you showed up, and and uh, if you went to a short track, you might have had a half hour of practice and then uh, qualified and race. Or some drivers who were, who were crisscrossing the country would tell you they would get there late, and they wouldn't even get a chance to practice. They would unload and race. Um, I've seen a number of uh, retired drivers on Twitter say that'd be right in my wheelhouse. Mark <laughs> Martin, hey, you know, go to Darlington, unload, line up and race. I mean, and I, and I think there's Mark Martin is right. He and probably four or five others would have been wide open at the get go and said, you know, it is what it is. And so I think that's going to make it even more exciting. Um, and it really shows guys that are talented, shows a talent and experience of some of these drivers. Uh, and also, uh, I think Fox is going to be a beneficiary because everyone's going to want to watch these shows. You can't be there in person, so why not watch it on television?
0: And, of course, like we mentioned last week, Fox is going to have have an awesome broadcast. But I want to go back to what you mentioned about it kind of setting apart some some drivers. And not only some drivers, but some teams. One can imagine that we're going to see this change in uh, the weekend schedule effect competition on the racetrack. But if I'm, if I'm a team with NASCAR, how does this affect my strategy approaching race weekend? Because I would have to imagine you can't, you can't have the same approach that you had uh, earlier this season.
1: Well, I'm not sure, uh, even as we sit here, that exactly how many people NASCAR is going to allow from each team to go to the track. So teams are going to have to be leaner and more efficient. Uh, back in the old days, before you had over-the-wall guys, uh, you're, you're, you, had a, you had a mechanic who was also an engine tuner. It was also a tire changer who might have been a jack man. It's like having a band. The guy played the guitar and the drums, you know, and the, and the keyboards. You've got to do a lot of different jobs. So the teams will probably have to be able to bring fewer people, uh, but that can do more work. Uh, also, the fact that because you're not going to qualify, you're not going to practice everywhere, with the exception of uh, probably the World 600 or, or the Coke 600, uh, the, the team owners will be able to bring one car just bring one car to the racetrack you load it up and remember when all of this stopped these teams were already at atlanta and so they had atlanta and homestead planned so they already had intermediate racetrack cars uh prepared and then they were let let back in the shop so they've got some intermediate track cars ready uh so they can uh bring one car to the racetrack um and 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 unload it uh you got to be ready i mean you there's no there's no extra time it's all one day uh it's like you um, you know, it's uh, it's almost like some of the sports, like a basketball game, where you show up, you shoot a little bit, you shoot some layups, you dribble, and then you you throw it up and you play. It. Time and to go. N- yeah, exactly. That's what NASCAR is going to, which I think is a very efficient way to do it, and hopefully it'll be safer, uh, cost less money in terms of practice and tires, etc. Um, and uh, and and because no one knows what you got until the, the green flag weighs, it's gonna be fun to watch. Even more, it reminds me of the old days. I get excited thinking about it.
0: Well, something else that I want to touch on that made me very excited when I saw that schedule come out, when we mention seven races in 11 days, that's, that's not all Cup Series. NASCAR is making a point to get both the Xfinity Series and the Gander Truck Series back on the racetracks too. And I know, you know, during a time like this when there's so many questions and so much up in the air as to whether or not we can just even get get something running again. I am just so thankful that NASCAR has found a way to not only get the top tier back on the track, but they're gonna get these other uh, smaller teams and younger drivers an opportunity to get back out there and try a, try a new format, put their skills to the test, like you said.
1: Well, I, I think that speaks to Jim France. That speaks to NASCAR leadership. Jim France is a racer's racer. I mean, he understands, he races, he's been around, he, he's in the garage area there in the NASCAR hauler in his jeans and shirt. He's there, he's, a, he's available, he's amenable to talk to people, and he also understands that these entry-level teams in, in the, the Gander Outdoor Truck Series, the Xfinity teams, they've got sponsorship, they've got young drivers are trying to develop. They need to be at the racetrack. They've got budgets, and, and so why not get these people there? Take care of, of, of the grassroots racer, which is, I think, Absolutely. Jim Prince is about, and that speaks to speaks I mean, volumes as to his knowledge of the sport. It's not just about the Cup Series, It's about taking care of everyone, which obviously they're going to do with these so many races in a short amount of time.
0: That's right. Well, like we said, confirmed racing at Darlington, both the Cup Series and the Xfinity Series. We will see another Cup race at Darlington, and then we'll see Cup, Xfinity, and the Truck Series, and then Cup again, all at Charlotte. So those are all of the uh, races that are currently on the schedule. You can find that schedule at NASCAR.com. But, yeah, going to be a lot of um, adapting is the word I guess we'll use. I don't know how much evolution we'll see coming out of this. We, everyone talks about just as a society, kind of a new normal. Um, I'm anxious to see if any of this stays with NASCAR, if we see kind of a new normal in the sense of how we run uh, our weekends. But for now, it's it's going to be um, definitely just a lot of adapting on, on the team's end.
1: Yeah, it's all about being safe. You know, in NASCAR, says, we can do this, you know, some of the other sports can we mentioned the NBA couldn't, and other sports because of fans and because of close contact, but you're wrapped in a 3,500 pound stock car there, so there's a safety parameter, and since I've been doing racing for a long time, Jesse, it's always been, um, no matter who you talk to in NASCAR, it's always been safety first.
0: Well, you bring up a good point. You've been doing racing for a long time and you've been able to see firsthand a lot of the safety measures that have been implemented over the years. And especially uh, with your role as a pit road reporter, because you really have been through some of the most major changes, not only in the sport, but for someone in broadcasting. Um, One of those again, not to age you, but for anyone listening to this, you have been on pit road so long that you were wearing a sport coat and not a fire suit. And also you've been on pit road before, before some major implementations for uh, pit crew members.
1: Sure. So I
0: guess if we go all the way back, uh, there's a really great story for you, maybe not for you, but you got hit in the face one time on pit road <laughs> because of a, uh, uh, or I, which led to, I should say, an implementation and safety rules. Can you explain what happened?
1: Yeah, it was uh, actually before I was doing television, I was doing motor racing network, MRN, and we were at Michigan. Uh, and, uh, because I was on the MRN crew and I lived in Florida, uh, the NASCAR people were kind enough to allow me to fly to the racetrack and back, you know, on one of their planes where they brought their officials and staff up. So, um, cause I had to be up there and back, um, and, uh, when the, so when the race was over, um, uh, at, uh, I walked to the garage area and I climbed in the car. I was riding to the airport to get on one of those NASCAR planes with NASCAR's vice president, Les Richter and Les was driving. And I was, he was sitting in the front seat and I climbed in beside him, but we were waiting on, uh, NASCAR's, uh, uh, series director Dick Beatty to, to go through all the inspections and get in the back of the car. <clears throat> Excuse me. Well, as I climbed in the car beside Les Richter, he looked over to me and said, what happened to you? And I'm thinking, what do you mean? And, of I haven't seen a mirror. But he says, what's, on, what's wrong with your head? And I had this diagonal scratch about four and a half inches across my forehead. And I said, oh, 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 you know what? I remember now because on that last pit stop on uh, the race, uh, I was on pit road calling the pit stop. And uh, the crew chief uh, for the Levi Garrett car for Joe Ruppman was a guy named Buddy Parrott, legendary crew chief and back then, that the crew name yeah the used to go out and stand on pit road with these big pit boards and they would hold them in their hands and the cars would come down pit road and wave this pit board and then wave it and the driver would see it and he'd pull in and then the crew chief would put the pit board down on his feet stop the car would stop he'd take it and throw it across the wall and he would begin the pit stop well on this particular stop buddy parrot takes that pit board and throws it like a like an improvised frisbee and it goes sailing in the air i'm standing back behind the wall as, as out of the way as i can be and this thing sails way up in the air and comes down and just comes across, hits me right in the forehead. And it, had, it wasn't a cut, but it was about as close to being through the skin as you could be. It was a big, long, you know, diagonal gash. And so I told, I told Mr. Richter, I said, well, I, this is what happened. You know, I'm standing there in the pits and I get hit across the forehead. And, and uh, about that time the back door opens and Dick Beatty, who's the series director for the Western Cup series back then, jumps in and, and, and we take off out through the tunnel ahead of the airport. Or we're going to the airport, Dick Beatty says, looks up, says, what happened to you, doc? And I start telling the story again. And I said, and I said, hey, and I, and, I, and they're, and Les Richter's driving. I said, hey, you know what? I said, this is dangerous. It, you know, I, I got hit, but, you know, these, I said, and I don't know why those guys have to be standing on pit road with those pit boards. I said, we talk about how congested pit road is anyway. And there's uh, got to
0: be a better way.
1: Got to be a better okay. way. I said, yeah. so because back then the brakes weren't good. In the, and if the car, if the brakes in the car didn't stop, if you're holding that pit board as a crew chief, you either was going to dive across the wall out of the way or you ended up laying on the hood of the car. Sure. And it was dangerous. And I said, you know, you got 40 guys on pit road that are most, mostly crew chiefs that are holding pit boards. And I said, they're 40 targets. And if those cars don't stop or someone bumps into that car and he spins, they're going to end up being hurt or get on the hood of the car or be diving across the wall. I said, I don't understand. And I'm talking to Les Richter, who's driving, why you just can't take those guys and make them stand behind the wall and make them hold that board. And, you know, or, you know, I really didn't have the idea of the pit sign, but I said, hold the board from behind the wall. I said, you would instantly take 40 people off a of pit road, and it wouldn't be nearly as congested as it is right now. And so uh, Les Richter's driving. You know, he's looking in the mirror at Dick Beatty in the back seat. And Les is rubbing that big old jaw, her, you know. And, and uh, Les says, Hey, Dick. And uh, he said, Yeah, coach. His nickname was Coach. He said, I, I, they said, Dick, I got an idea. He said, You know, I think well, what we can do is we can take these crew chiefs off the of pit road and make them stand behind the wall and we'll hold a sign or something. It'll be a lot less congested. Uh, and that way we don't get these guys hit all the time and hurt. And uh, it'd just be safer. It'd be another move for safety. And, uh, he looks over to me and says, what do you think about that, Doc? And I said, Les, I wish I'd have thought of that myself. You know, like that, we all laugh. And sure enough, a week or so later, there's a new rule that you can no longer stand on pit road with the pit boards. And that you can, these guys are going to be behind the wall. So effectively, you just took 40 people off of pit road and made the congestion. Uh, you reduced the congestion and made it a lot safer.
0: I just can only imagine I just have this you setting setting the picture there setting the scene and sitting there with the gash across your head yeah sounds like a great idea to me
1: yeah, but it uh, on list. yeah yeah,
0: exactly. You know, what gets me, though, is thinking about, you know, I, I, I don't know what the environment was like on Pit Road back then, but I know what the environment is like on, on Pit Road now, um, having worked NASCAR races, and it's a zoo. I mean, it's, it's, yeah. it is crazy now, and uh, I can only imagine how wild it was and how congested it was back then. Um, so the idea of you getting hit in the face or someone getting hit yeah. with the pit board doesn't surprise me in the slightest bit. Um, and that's why, you know, the, the pits being so congested and so many people being there, that's why it is such, such an important part of NASCAR's job to make sure that everyone down there is safe. And I mentioned earlier that you, uh, <laughs> that you used to wear, wear, Blazers wear sport coats, work suits, business suits on the air.
1: You know, back in the MRN days, we wore we wore jeans and just a, a just the MRN had a button down white shirt and it just said with a blue MRN on. That's all we wore. Mm-hmm. And then uh, when I started working some for ESPN, we had just like a little nylon ESPN like golf shirt and, and jeans uh, because most of the time that they showed us with a few cameras we had in the early days of ESPN, they showed us from like the waist up, so then you could wear jeans or whatever. And then one of our bosses said, you got to wear khakis. You look more professional. I said, okay. okay so khakis now- at
0: the racetrack? That was unheard of at the time, I'm sure.
1: Yeah, <laughs> uh, you know, I'm going to wear khakis. Everybody's going to make <laughs> fun of me but khakis. But they said, what's well, this television? Okay, okay. Yeah. Khakis, khakis and a little nylon uh, ESPN shirt. Well, then with the ABC network telecast, you know, the uh, they said, you know, you've got to look professional. This is on the wide world of sports. And so everyone, no matter whether you're doing ski jumping in Oslo, Norway, or your whatever, you have to wear a blazer. You have to look nice, you know. So I am standing in the pits uh, for an ABC telecast uh, of the uh, Motocraft 500 back on March 19th of 1989. And I'm calling a pit stop, a Richard, uh, getting ready to call a Richard Petty pit stop. He comes down pit road, uh, put one can of gas in. He starts to put a second can of gas in and suddenly, it's like somebody, someone turned a giant fan on. He felt, this, he felt the compression of all the air being sucked and there was a big fire in front of me. Um, and I'm at the back corner of the pits, but I'm even with the Jack with the uh, gas man. He's about 10 feet in front of me and I look and see the gas can is on fire. There's fire down in front of his he wore a leather apron back then That's all he had on. It was fire on the leather apron. He's trying to throw the gas can across the wall so it doesn't get the car. They're screaming for Richard to pull out of the pits. He's trying to pull up to get away from the fire. Uh, and suddenly there's fire extinguishers going off. Um, my, my pit pit road uh, assistant there with me, who I worked with me forever, Nelson Crozier, helped a couple of crew members get the uh, fireman, Robert Calicut. We laid him down the ground and wrapped him in like a rubber mat that they were using mm-hmm. there to stack tires on. And we were able to get the fire out. And and so, but it was just mass chaos. And the crew was using fire extinguishers. It was a big cloud of, of, of smoke. And because back then there were no dry breaks to be able to seal the fueling system. You just took a big can and and, and yeah, the cap you took off, and this one just put the can there. And we found out later that that Richard Petty's car had a had a broken header or something. So it must have backfired and started the fire. But boy, it was frightening.
0: Yeah, I can't imagine. I mean, thankfully everyone, like you mentioned, was uh, was okay. But what 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 were the pit or not pit reporters? What were the uh, pit crew members
1: wearing? Well, they they were wearing just shirts. They were just wearing a lot of these guys were just wearing like a regular cloth shirt with an STP uh, you know uh, logo sewn on it uh, and a couple other sponsor logos and that was it. I mean, nobody had fire suits. Nobody had helmets. Nobody had and and so I mean, literally. I mean, I'm in that blazer and and, and ABC starts calling down to me as I'm I'm more focused on trying to check this crew member out as I'm there looking at where he's been changed a little bit. Fortunately, he wasn't burned bad at all even though all he had on was a leather apron you know and where the gas flashed off and got the apron and it caught fire uh but uh they they when they do throw it down to me eventually and the camera gets over there i'm giving a report well i don't realize and the people went home and our bosses in new york are looking the the uh, the black windscreen on my microphones melted it had melted because i had it in my hand as i'm trying to you know and and my leather my, my black polyester navy blue blazer it's melted uh, the hair on my back of my hand, my face is seems a little bit with some, with some soot was, but I, I'm okay except for the jack and the windscreen. And, and uh, so, but, so I never thought much more about it, uh, but everyone realizing then, you know, that was, that was, you know, that, that could have been a lot worse. Could have been a whole lot worse. Uh, and then, um, you know, I left that day to go to the airport. Uh, I'm thinking I'm, all the way to the airport. I'm thinking, wow, this I'm glad the guy's going to be okay. And I'm glad it wasn't worse. I'm glad that, you know, that I I was, and I never thought more about any more about it until I got to the airport.
0: So what happened when you got to the airport? Because obviously if I'm a producer and I'm in the truck and I send it down to one of my guys in the pits after a fire and he's looks like he's melting, you got to make some changes.
1: Well, I I got to the Atlanta airport and uh, I can't remember exactly how it happened. Uh, uh, I get a page uh, and I'm thinking it's an airline page uh, and I'm and then I, I go, there a page, a, whole, a page. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Back then, back then we didn't have cell phones. So, yeah. and it was boss, one of the big bosses in New York, Jeff Mason, who's a wonderful coordinating producer for motorsports and modern motorsports. And he, he, first of all, he wants to make sure I'm okay.
0: Sure. And,
1: uh, and he said, it was scary, frightening to all of us here. And then he says, why are you not wearing fire retardant equipment? Why is that not happening? And uh, I said, well, we just never have. He said, well, from now on you guys, when we do our shows, aren't going to be in those navy blazers. So the following week, I'm in this bright yellow, it look like a giant pimento, this bright red fire suit with just one little logo on it, no name, anything. I think I still have that fire suit, the original fire suit we ever used on television. Uh, and it was not a very flattering fire suit, but uh, <laughs> it some some semblance of protection. And, uh, and that was why, because of what happened that day in Atlanta, uh, you know, back um, uh, in, in 1989 with, with the Richard Petty fist
0: if you think you still have that fire suit, will you please dig that out of storage for me?
1: Yeah, I would I will, love to see we'll it. I, it's in a box somewhere. Uh, I've got, I kept a lot. I've kept several hundred fire suits from different eras. So yeah, I will find it.
0: Mom is slowly but surely finding ways to get rid of yeah, rid of fire suits, as we're slowly finding ways to continue to hoard them. But
1: I, I gotta hide them so I can send them to you. That'll be good. Please
0: hide them, and I'll keep them in my apartment. Okay, it'll yeah, work great. great. Yeah, <laughs> thanks. No, that uh, that story though. There's actually you when you told me that story the first time. I went and looked it up online, and um, there's some great articles about that about that fire. Obviously, I say great because everybody was able to come out of that okay, and there were some very important implementations made uh, in the name of safety moving forward, not only by NASPAR, but by like you mentioned by the the networks, um, sure. which is a really cool uh, moment in history if you think about it. Kind of on on both sides, network uh, television and and in NASCAR evolution, um, but you know, I did. I mentioned last time. If, if anyone watching this doesn't know me, I work for I work for NASCAR International, um, and I did a piece last year. I had the privilege of doing a piece on the evolution of of safety on pit road, and um, it taught me a lot that I I uh, didn't know about the sport. And um, so many of these rules, like we've mentioned, have been implemented because of um unfortunately issues that we've seen happen and one of those rules was um probably one could argue the most important rule that's been implemented the pit road uh speeding um speed limit speed limit on pit road so you again know what it's like to see cars flying down pit road and also know what it's like um after that implementation um unfortunately that wasn't uh an incident where everybody was able to walk away okay that um NASCAR felt the need to add that what do you remember from that incident and from a few weeks before where where another incident took place
1: yeah well I mean I think I think you know NASCAR NASCAR is about speed excitement energy speed on the racetrack and the faster we go uh you know running side by side two and three wide uh and in, in for many many years and for most of the years of NASCAR there was no limit of speed on pit road so uh, cars could uh, could come off of the track and turn down pit road and they could run whatever they could hang on to and remember there were still guys changing tires and, and jacking the car people would be zipping by at well over 100 miles an hour if not faster on some of the super speedways uh in a pit road has it has oil on it or whatever or they got a tire going down they don't have a great control uh, on pit road in fact it was uh, at the end of the year in november of 1987 uh last race of the year riverside california uh, we're calling a pit stop, and there's a big sweeping turn nine coming off the Riverside, you come down pit road, and then there were three or four cars got together trying to get on the pit road, and, and, and they were actually on the edge of the racetrack coming off, and uh, and they go sliding into Bill Elliott's cr- uh, crew that's that's pitting the car there. I think there were four or five crew members that were hurt. I ran down there, there was a couple of guys that, you know, most of them were fractures, and, you know, broken legs are bad enough, and multiple but it, it, that's what it was because of the way they were hit on pit road because there was no protection um, there from a pit wall where you come off the racetrack because it was a road course um, so uh, but then by far the worst um, uh, you know you talk about you know the excitement the energy and the triumph of seeing a great pit stop and the crew is all shaking and, you know high-fiving and pumping there's also the sad moments where things don't go really well and I remember Unfortunately, I remember yesterday, like it was uh, like it was yesterday, in November 1990 at Atlanta, and Jesse, I was covering a Bill Elliott pit stop, and I am actually standing uh, uh, at the back of the car, right where the gas man would be putting gas in the car, and I'm looking across the car, watching the pit stop, and my cameraman, my handheld cameraman, Corky Corcoran, is shooting across the back of the car. Um, when I look out of the corner of my eye, and I see uh, Ricky Rudd's car coming down pit road, and Ricky Rudd's. Brakes locked up, and the car just spins around, and he makes contact with the right rear, the outside rear of Bill Elliott's car, and strikes uh, crew member Mike Rich, who was on his knees changing a tire. Also, Tommy Cole was a jackman there, and Tommy gets hit as well. But you know his injuries were, uh, I think, an arm, an arm injury, or maybe a broken arm. But unfortunately, you know Mike um, was caught between the cars, uh, and it was a terrible, terrible impact. And so uh, they got him loaded right there and got him. Uh, in an ambulance, and, um, and unfortunately, he didn't survive. His injuries uh, were significant, um, and uh, which was a terrible track. 32 years old, a construction worker uh, that, that was a full-time pit crew guy out of Blairsville, Georgia, great guy, uh, and for Bill Elliott. And, you know, the Elliott team was like a family. These crew guys were all family. They were like buddies. I mean, that, you know, they weren't related, but they were like a big family. And, in fact, if um, you talk to Ernie and – Dan and, and the others they they said that Bill even contemplated retiring and just walking away because of that of that uh, that trauma that tr- that accident that they had on pit road.
0: I can only imagine what it's like to to experience something like that. Um, it's terrible. It's a it's a terrible tragedy that unfortunately is something that we. Um, in, like you said, a sport like NASCAR, where everything is about speed and adrenaline and tight racing, it's, it's, it's something that, um, like you said, thankful we didn't have more of them, but it comes with the territory, especially the territory at the time. And that's um, why, unfortunately, it, it took a tragedy, but NASCAR was able to implement a rule moving forward that um, has helped us see uh, much safer conditions on mm-hmm. there
1: exactly pit roads congested and, and by implementing a pit road speed limit everyone thought it's going to take the excitement of the pit stops away well just the contrary I mean you can only come down pit road so fast and now you didn't, you got to come in and what's got to be done in the pit box and and let me just back up and say you know Ricky Rudd was a veteran driver an experienced driver and um, and, and, and I can't imagine how he felt at the time because he's coming down pit road and and the brakes, uh, I don't know if it was a brake bias issue or what, but the car just loops around. It's like he, he didn't steer it in one direction. The car, the back end of the car just came around. Um, and, uh, and and you know, and the way the pit road back then at Atlanta was was sloped toward the pit wall. So it, I guess it rang there. There was water. It would run away from the racetrack. And so when the car spun, it came right toward Bill Elliott's car and hit. So I, and it was no... No fault of Ricky Rudd's, obviously, you know, he's an experienced race car driver and would never do that to endanger someone else. It was just one of those freak accidents. But NASCAR realized that those speeds, if you do spin or, you know, you're going to hit something or someone on pit road. And that prompted them to make that very significant change to implement pit road speed limits.
0: You know, being a a younger NASCAR fan and you're talking about, about Ricky Rudd and what that must feel like to not only experience something like that, but then the following days. And the only thing that I, I can, the first thing that comes to mind for me to compare that to thankfully not a tragedy, uh, that we saw there, but I, um, what we saw at Daytona earlier this season that went down that that went on in those last few laps with the incident between, uh, specifically between Corey LaJoy and Ryan Newman with that contact. I, um, on the pace lap i had had it right. scheduled Corey, to be on that that following tuesday and Corey, being the phenomenal driver and just person that he is um stuck to his uh stuck to his plan and came on the show he knew that that was something he needed to do um he'd been doing media and i, I just had the opportunity to talk to Corey about um what the past it had only been two days it was a tuesday it was Tuesday twos- yeah. it was it was excuse me it was wednesday because of the race the race being postponed but just having the chance to talk to Corey, and um, Corey is such a great guy, he was able to express his emotions so eloquently to me. But I would never be able to express to you what I was able to see in his face and in his eyes talking about that moment.
1: Well, Corey, a lot like Ricky Rudd, he did nothing wrong, he was in the wrong place at the right time. And uh, and and when Ryan Newman's car hit the wall and then got airborne, and there's Corey is he has nowhere to go at, at, at 190 plus miles an hour and there's nothing he can do brakes aren't going to work you know steering one way or another because of the of the other cars to the left and right there's nothing he could do now it's all it's understandable that he would feel terrible because of the way he hit uh you know ryan newman's car you know but you know the safety innovations that we've had over the years i mean we the tragic loss of dale earnhardt back in 2000 you know it, it it's it's uh, 2001 i i just think you know all the things implement that were implemented after that uh and then have probably saved you know dozens of drivers uh over the years and 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 you take all some of those innovations the hans device uh, uh, you know, the safer barrier the the energy absorbing wall uh moving the car driver's seat you know closer to a little bit closer to the middle of the car putting energy absorbing foam in the side uh as you mentioned the newman bar all the things that when they implemented, there was an Earnhardt bar, there was a Foyt bar they put in, they, they had nicknames based on drivers who've been in accidents. The
0: Petty Bar.
1: The Petty Bar, exactly, that that were important to have those bars there. And that that accumulation of safety innovation at NASCAR was always reactive to. There's an accident, take it back, examine it, how can we make it safer? And those things from the safer barrier and the first impact of Newman in the outside wall to to when the car gets up up airborne, Never we have the roof flaps keep the crawls on the ground, except right. in rare, rare circumstances, which just was, and the car gets up and he gets hit by Cori LaJoy, you know, basically in the driver's door upside down, uh, and things worked. And, 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 the, and the proof is that, you know, Ryan Newman, you know, walks out of the hospital holding his little girl's hands 48 hours later. Mm-hmm. And let's be honest, that wouldn't have happened 20 years ago. Probably wouldn't have happened 15, maybe not 10 years ago. And it's that kind of innovation. It's good. If I'm a driver today, if I'm Kyle Bush or if I'm Kevin Harvick, or I'm someone today, I'm thinking, and I see Ryan Newman, I'm thinking, wow, I don't ever want to have one of those. But man, I feel pretty good knowing that this car, that I, I have a car that's so much safer than anything the guys like Richard Petty and Kelly Yarborough and those guys, and Darrell Waltrip, those guys drove back mm-hmm. in the day. Go to the museums and look at those cars that they drove. And you think, you yourself, holy cow, how did they climb in that uh, it was an old Ford Mustang seat, you know, that had one strap across it. There was no window net. And, you know, it, how, how did they survive those wrecks back then? Yet they did. Uh, but you look where we are today, and thankfully, uh, a lot safe.
0: Well, you talk about some of those old model cars. That used to be when NASCAR was was first really gearing up and, and expanding uh, nationwide, that was the selling point. These are the cars that you can drive off the showroom floor. And so it really is, I mean, those are stories, I'm sure for, for another day, we can get we could get way down the rabbit hole of the evolution of, of the cars and, and just that as aspect of the sport. But no, you're absolutely right. I mean, what, what we've seen in in safety evolution has been tremendous. And I do wanna go back though, to something that you mentioned, and again, might be stories for other times, but you being both an ER doctor and a pit road reporter, your ability to react at the scene, and um, you've played uh, an important role in some of these major incidents that we've seen at the racetrack. So maybe uh, sometime in the next few weeks, we do another role in With the Punches where we talk about where you put your microphone down and put your doctor's hat on and had to kind of um, be reactive in situations like that at the track.
1: Yeah, it's interesting, Jesse. I'd be happy to. And, and uh, you know, cause back in the day we didn't have all of the safety crew people that we have today that were at the scene immediately like they were with Brian Newman and you have trauma doctors, you have ER physicians and highly people that are work every day and practice extricating a driver from the car. We didn't have that back then. And so there were several cases exactly, uh, which we can talk about. One, one serious one in Atlanta and one involving, uh, Rusty Wallace at Bristol. Yes. Uh, several others, but those were the two people talk about where I happen to be uh, conveniently there as an ER physician, and just, and, you know, it's like one of those things that, uh, you know, you're a doctor no matter where you are, so mm-hmm. um, even though I was there as a sportscaster, so, yeah, we can discuss that in <sighs> future episodes.
0: I love the way you said that. I happen to, I I happen to conveniently have, uh, you know, eight years of, of medical school under my belt and I was just in the right place at the right time as you used earlier <laughs> so no that'll be good I'm I'm looking forward to because I've heard a lot of these stories but it's interesting to be able to hear them again uh in this setting and really really pick your brain on them so looking forward to that oh,
1: good.
0: yeah thanks for giving me some more insight though into this evolution of pit road like I said I did that I did that um uh piece for NASCAR international and now I feel like I could and do five more processes.
1: Safety piece. And they even took you over to Pitt Road School, and let you learn how to jack a car and change a tire. You realize that is, uh, people have no idea how hard that is, you know, on, to <sighs> jack a car with one pump and change a the tire. These guys are real athletes. And that
0: is for sure. Talk about a story for another day. I <laughs> did do, I did do a day at performance training school, pit school, uh, performance instruction and training out there in Mooresville. I was able to spend a day with the guys over there. And they put me through. They put me through a full day of pit training. They suited me up, and I, um, I, I will say I jacked up a car. But I'll give you more info when we actually talk about that. <laughs> For now, just great. take the fact the that I jacked up a car on my own. <laughs> okay, all right. We'll just leave it at that. Well, Dad, always great talking to you. Continue to stay safe, everybody at home. Continue to stay safe, and like we said, we'll be uh, talking, talking racing at Darlington
1: in just a few weeks can do social distance yay for nascar coming back i can't wait and jesse i can't wait sometime to see you we can sit side by side maybe someday again and do another uh, roller coaster love you sweetie i love you too dad